dear future me. Did anybody write a dear future me letter when they were in school at one point? Anybody here do that? I see a few hands. I never did. I would never do that kind of thing. That's too, that's too sensitive. Dear future me. Apparently it's a big thing, and the whole idea behind writing to your future self is if you could send yourself a message into the future for the future Mr. or Mrs. so-and-so to be able to read, what would you say to yourself? If you could tell yourself something 10 years from now, what would you say? What would you need to remind yourself to do or to become or to say? It's interesting because of all the things surveyed, when I did a little Facebook poll, when you read all the stats, there are whole websites, tons of websites devoted to this, so you can write yourself an email and it'll be delivered 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, and people do it, as long as your email address is still the same. And the similar, uh, uh, about four or five things seem to come to the surface in everybody's message to themselves. They remind themselves to trust God, or, or in other words, to not sweat the small stuff, to not be as stressed out about life as so oftentimes we are, aren't we? Yes. We get stressed. There's a reminder for, for you to be grateful, to be thankful for what you have. It's a common denominator. To fight for what's important in your life, to not let it go by the wayside. And today's message, which, I mean, almost to a T, the amount of people who remind themselves to love well. And to love deeply the people that are around them. To go out of their way to say it, to do it, to practice it. Because oftentimes, do we not get stuck being petty? Think about the last time you were offended. I bet it was over something really dumb. In fact, I bet everything in my wallet, which, well, there's nothing in my wallet, but... My point is, we get, we get stuck on things that are dumb. And when you imagine yourself 10 years from now, you know what you don't think? You don't think, oh boy, I hope I'm still stewing over that silly little thing. You remind yourself to love the people that you know God has put in your life. And to not be bothered by things that are just insignificant. To love well to love deeply, and to let people know. Now, talking about love, it can be a little tricky because we say we love everything, don't we? How many times a week do you feel like, I, mean, I, I love that? <laughs> people say, I love you to their spouse. They say, I love you to their girlfriends. They say, I love you to, their, to Netflix. <laughs> I love Netflix. You love your favorite restaurant. You love your car. You love your house. You love your pillow. Some of you don't even go to, you don't sleep in a hotel without taking your pillow with you because that hotel pillow just doesn't do the job. Come on now. I do that. Guilty as charged. I love my pillow. 
We love a lot of things. If you grew up in the 80s or 90s, you know, and you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, if you wanted to express your undying love for one another, you made something for that significant other. Anybody have an idea? Did I hear somebody say mixtape? Because you better believe if this relationship was going anywhere, you, you better get out your little cassette player and your blank cassette tape, put it in there, and you turn right into that favorite radio station. And then you record and play. And you get the DJ going on the front end and the back end. And you get all the songs from your radio station. It was the most Bush League cut tape that you would give to the one who had just captured your heart. Casey Capesom's Top 40. <laughs> Boys to Men. Oh, yeah. I know it well. Right? Oh, we love all kinds of things. We love music. We love each other. We love our relations. We love our dogs and cats and pets. And we love to work. Some of you love to work out. That's not me, but some of you do. <laughs> My point is this, guys. Because we use the word love so loosely at times, and I don't say that negatively, it can be difficult talking about what it means to really love because if I were to interview all of us, all of us would have a very different idea of what it means to love and be loved. Amy brought home a Twix for me yesterday, Friday. A Twix from the grocery store. And she knew the this, this secret to my heart. <laughs> and I loved it. Everybody loves and feels love differently. And so that's why taking a moment for all of us to get on the same page, to look at Scripture and understand the only real definition that truly matters isn't yours or mine. It's how God ultimately defines love. And can we live up to that? And when we say, I hope I love, what we're really saying is, I hope my life matters in the lives of the people around me. I hope I love them well and they feel it and they know it and it's significant. Well, great news. Scripture has a lot to tell us about love. And I may even get a little academic in my description of it today. Might move a little bit away from all the, the feels when it comes to love for a second so that we can understand practically what it actually means to love and then you go and do it in any relationship that you have. You guys with me this morning? Amen. Father, help us as we get into this word and do your scripture. I pray you bring it to light for us. Help us to understand it and help us to do it. Help us not to just be hearers of the scriptures, but doers of it, God. Amen. Turn to John chapter 1, verse 14. Our scripture that we're going to stay in today, you can, you can go there on your, uh, on your phone, on your iPad. You can follow along the screen behind me. Ooh. John writes in chapter 1, verse 14, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
if you do not know, the reference to the word right here is Jesus himself. The word meaning Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son full who came from the father full of grace and truth. We're going to break this down today because this is actually a great just a simple little verse that on the surface you may not read and say, wow, does this really stir me to love the people around me better? But when we really pull back the layers, if we can do what Jesus is doing right here, you will have some of the most profound, loving, deep relationships you could ever imagine. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. As in Jesus, the son of the living God. Just take a, take a second because most of you have probably heard the story of Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying for your sins, rising from the grave on the third day and offering salvation to all who would believe. But just take a time out for a second. Because the magnificence of this very moment, oftentimes we just forget. We lose it. If you've ever, anyone ever been to the Grand Canyon before? If you were like me, the Grand Canyon was so, like, it, it was the most almost overwhelming experience. And I couldn't even really, I couldn't really contain this moment. It was almost easier to look at the Grand Canyon from a picture than it was to stand on the edge and try to soak the grandioseness of this moment and thing in. It was simply an overwhelming moment. And oftentimes we can treat Scripture and Jesus leaving heaven to know you and to know me, it's like this Grand Canyon experience where it should be overwhelming. But oftentimes we, we tend to keep it at a distance and, and keep it from the postcard. We look at it from here. Rather than being completely daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, just blown away at what Jesus did for you and me. Say this one more time. The word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Before Jesus gave it all for you, he left it all to be with you. And oftentimes we focus, as rightly we should, on the crucifixion and Jesus rising from the grave, but we forget the steps that happened before that. Jesus I mean, he had it going on. Think about it for a second. Most of us don't even like to get off the couch and go to the mailbox, okay? And Jesus left paradise. He left the perfect placement in the throne room of God. Perfect relationship with God. I don't even know what that looked like. We know from, from Revelation what heaven is to be like. But can we all just agree that it's probably pretty good? Bliss, thank you. 
What Jesus left to put flesh on his bones and become like you and I was a despicable thing that he would have done. For the holy of holies to clothe himself in mortality. It's unbelievable. But that's what he did. And he did it so that you and I could know him so that he could dwell among us. He left his world and stepped right in to this one. Sometimes when I look at relationships and I spend a lot of time talking, you know, to people about their marriages or their kids or, you know, college student to college student or pick your relationship, Oftentimes, the thing, the key that would unlock people's hearts is one person stepping out of their situation and taking the humility and time to get into somebody else's. Look what, look what Paul writes in Philippians. He says, Who, Jesus, being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That right there is amazing. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. This world, I'm going to leave that behind and I'm going to step into theirs, into yours, into mine. Paul writes in Thessalonians, because we love you so much, our hearts are just beating out of our chests for you. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And so here is my question for you. We see Jesus strapping on flesh to be like you and I, that we might be able to see him and experience him in a way that we can understand. And so who are you when we talk about loving people well and loving God well and dear future me, I pray, I hope, I wish that I'm loving deeply and loving well. Well, the question isn't just some pipe dream that will magically happen to you. What are you doing? right now to step out of your world to get into more fully somebody else's. What are you doing? Because this is what you've got to wrestle with if we want to be the kind of people who at the end of our lives can say, I loved well. Or that other people, more importantly, would even say that about you. When I was in high school, I didn't play football. I know you guys are really surprised by that. You know, I played volleyball. I was a setter for four years. And I played baseball in the summers. I played volleyball during school. And my father, who was a huge hulking man, he's a big guy. I've told many of you this before. You could put a quarter through his wedding ring. My dad was big, okay? Played center for his high school football team. And football was his sport. That's what he knew. And I imagine when he had his son, me, 
He probably had thoughts and dreams of what it was going to be like to cheer his son on playing football. And guess what? I never played football. I didn't even really consider it. And so it would have been very easy for my dad to just, you know, kind of be indifferent. To just think, oh, well, you know what? That's what I'm into. That's what he's into. We'll just kind of let it be. Volleyball, his thing, football was mine. But that's not the kind of father we have because remember, he, he left what he knew, what he understood to put on flesh and to live in this world that we might fully know him, that his presence would dwell among us. And so my dad became a volleyball expert. I don't think I ever actually saw my dad pick up a volleyball. I, I don't imagine those, his sausage fingers would have been great at volleyball. But he knew it. He knew the sport. He knew the positions. He knew the rotations. He didn't miss a game. And then he got tickets. Because, because he cares? I don't think so. But because he knew I cared. And his role as a father was to get as much into the life of his son as possible that I might feel the presence of my father in my life, that he would be dwelling among me, among us. So we got tickets to USA versus Japan, St. Louis. It was awesome. We brought our friends. We got a, the box, whatever, like the deluxe box where they bring you food. It was, it was amazing. And my point is, again, getting back to this, what are you doing? You a parent today? What are you doing to get into the life of your child? To love them well. It's going to require you leaving some things behind in order to step into their situation. We say we love Netflix, but I'm going to tell you something right now. Sometimes you're going to have to shut it off. You're going to have to hit pause. You're going to have to hit stop or just pull the plug on the whole darn thing. When's the last time you got into your child's bed, so to speak, and just sat there and were, were messing around, talking about life, staring at the ceiling, cracking jokes, and just getting into the life of your child? When's the last time you and your spouse shut the tube off for a second and just talked about life or you husbands read the book that your wife was reading. That's big. Wives, that you got into, I'm playing stereotypes. I realize that. Pick whatever thing you're passionate about. If it's your husband's sports thing, maybe, maybe your wife is into sports and the husband's not. When's the last time you stepped out of your situation to get into theirs, that you might know them more fully, that they might know you more fully, and that you might love well. If Jesus stepped away from heaven for us, you can step away from your iPad for one another. The average 
American spends more time in front of a laptop and their phone than they do sleeping now every single day. Eight hours. We spend more time on our phone in the morning when we wake up than we do getting ready for the day and eating breakfast. I love my, my technology. Any of you who know me know I do. If you come over to my house, one of the things I'm going to talk to you about is my Apple TV. <laughs> I got it mounted behind the TV. I'm, you know, I'm going to show you. I enjoy it. That's how I relax is a good movie. Turn the lights down low, crank up the sound, get an ice cold Coke to kind of kind of just burns your throat. Watch a movie. Oh. But I tell you right now, your relationships need you more than your TV does, more than your iPad does, more than your phone does. And the only way to be present in those relationships is for us to step out of what we like and love, which might be Facebook, it might be our little world, our little zone, and get into the real tangible life of somebody else. And you've got to do that with your kids. You've got to do that with your friends. You've got to do that with the person that lives literally across the street. You've got to step out of your yard and go get into theirs. Invite somebody over. When's the last time you had somebody over to your house for dinner and just sat around the table and talked? Spent the night eating food and just doing life together. That's how we grow as men and women who love well. You guys tracking with me today? Oh, yeah. I spent a lot more time on that than I was expecting. Verse 14 says that we have seen Jesus' glory. We've seen it. If you are sitting here this morning and Jesus Christ has changed your life and he's made you new, the Bible talks about the old has gone and the new has come. If Jesus has made you a new person and you would describe yourself as a Christian, one who follows Jesus, then I need you to understand that you have seen his glory. You haven't seen the fullness of his glory as no man has, but you've seen something. You've seen it. And one of the things that we get to do is not just stay content with our little experience, but we get to help others experience and to see the glory that changes your life. The very writer here of John is talking about having seen his glory, but when you look at his life, he made every effort possible to help other people see that same glory. And so often, when you read Scripture, you see moms and dads. And Scripture refers to them in the Old Testament as men and women who obeyed God and followed his ways. And then you get to their children. So-and-so, so-and-so loved God, comma, but their son or their daughter or their children did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why does that happen? Why is that still happening? 
And there are a lot of reasons, and it'd be easy for you to walk away feeling shame today. Do not beg of you. But one of the challenges that we face in loving people well is literally sharing what Jesus has done in our life. If we truly say we love someone, then we have to be the kind of people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He and He alone can snatch you from the snare of eternity without Him. And that we want to do something about it. That I would care about you enough to at some point open my mouth and allow you to hear and see and taste. Because more often than not, The people around you only learn what you have seen and not how to see it for themselves. They will be what I like to call second-handers. Meaning their relationship with God will always be second-hand. The generation of teens that grew up around me, many of them, I mean, I was in a youth group with them, still my friends. And yet the amount, the ratio of people serving God, there was a disconnect between mom and dad and child or friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor, brother to sister. And we have to be the kind of people who are desperate, not that people would just hear about the nice experience you have, but that we would do our best to help them have one for themselves to be changed by God and to be made new by Him. That should bother you. I remember George Mueller. You know, I'm going to save that one for a rainy day. Jonathan Edwards, here's another one. He's a revivalist preacher in the uh, 1700s in, in America. If you're not familiar with him, you can Google him. But he, it's considered to be one of the most influential men in America's history. He felt God's call to become a minister at a young age, and he married his wife, Sarah, and they eventually began a pastorate of a small congregation. And during the years that followed, he wrote many sermons, prayers, books, and he was influential in beginning what we now call the Great Awakening, if you've ever heard of that in spiritual history, early church history. And so Sarah, his wife, she was a partner in her husband's ministry. They shared it equally, and they would spend a great deal of time talking about messages and even putting messages together. And they had 11 children, and as their children got older, they would bring their children in and, and, and bring them into the conversation about church and ministry and God and the messages that Jonathan was writing. So the effects of this man's life had been far-reaching. And so what they did, this was maybe 50 years ago, they did a study of Jonathan Edwards' descendants, 1,400 of them. And this is what we see. 
100 lawyers and a dean of a law school, 80 holders of public office, 66 physicians and a dean of a medical school, 65 professors of colleges and universities, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors of large cities, three governors of states, three United States senators, one controller of the United States treasury, one vice president of the United States, and scores of, scores of clergymen too numerous to count. Now, I see that and I read that and I think, here's a man. I'm not even talking about his faith at this point. I don't know if all these men and the family members followed Jesus. I don't. But yet, he transferred well, not just the what of leadership, but the how of leadership. And you see it infiltrating the family tree for generation after generation after generation. And while I would love to do the same and I'm working hard to do the same when it comes to the how of leadership with my children and the people around me, might I add, even this church, the thing that grips me more than even just being a great leader in this world is that you would not just look at my faith, but that you would have your own faith, that you wouldn't just be content and that I wouldn't just be content with this little story of something that happened a long time ago. Remember when God did that? As if it's ancient history. And everyone just continues, whether it's your kids to you or your family to you or your neighbors to you. Everyone's relationship to God around you is just secondhand through you. But can you take it a step further and be the kind of man or woman who loves so well and so intentionally that it's not just what you have experienced, but they are gripped by a need and a desire to have one for themselves. That's actually loving really well. If I were to die my children knew how to have a relationship with God, I can tell you something. There are a lot of things I want to do on this planet, but none of them even come close to that. They don't even touch it. They're not even in the same galaxy. If my life can be the kind of life that impacts people to follow Jesus, and yes, they wouldn't just follow, they wouldn't just, what's the word I'm looking for? They wouldn't just see my life. They would want to do it for themselves. That grips me. I want my life to inspire people to follow Jesus. Whether it's kids, whether it's you, whether it's my neighbor across the street. I'm going to tell you right now, we've, we live in a new house, new neighborhood, and it won't be long, mark my words, before somebody in this neighborhood comes to this church. You have my absolute Amen. guarantee. Not because I'm arrogant. I probably sounded arrogant. But because this truly grips me. This bothers me. That there would be people who are living across the street and they do not know Jesus. 
got to do something about that. The glory of Jesus Christ. I have to be the kind of man or woman that does my best at minimum at allowing them to see it and taste it for themselves. I've got to be the kind of person who steps out of my world and gets into somebody else's world because this tells us the kind of love that Jesus showered upon us. There are a lot of ways to describe love. But what we see with our very eyes is that Jesus left everything that was perfect and great and he wrapped himself in the stinky mortality of our flesh that we might know him. And he allowed his glory to be known. And the contagious thing about it is that no one wanted to be the end user. No one wanted the grace and truth of God to end with them. They wanted to love. The early disciples, they wanted to love and to love well. And they were passionate about it. And so they did what Jesus did. And we still read about today I hope I love dear future me I didn't even get to my last portion today of the message I'm going to save it I'm going to come at you with it probably next week I want you to hear this because so often when we think of that message to ourselves 10 years from now, we don't think of actual steps that we need to take to become that person that we know God has called us to be. God has called you to love, to love deeply and to love well. And that means two things. That means step out of your world for a minute and get into somebody else's. It means don't be afraid to open your mouth and share what you have seen God do with somebody else. If you're going to do those two things, I'm going to tell you right now, your life is going to be marked by true love for one another. We can talk about love languages and we can talk about gifts and we can talk about this and that and date nights and all those things. Oh, that's good but we've got to settle on that.